Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the fourth Sunday after Epiphany for the week of January 30th, 2022. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week's podcast, and I'm excited because this week there is a lot that we're going to cover. There's a lot of ground that we're going to go through. There's a little bit more direction to this podcast than I typically do. There's just a specific flow that I've been kind of working on and thinking about with this podcast. I also have dropped hints that I am working on a project on the side. It's not quite ready to announce. It's very, very close. I have a lot of work yet to get in, but I want to get it to a better place before I officially announce it. It's some really exciting news. It's stuff that I have been working on for nearly four years or procrastinating on for nearly four years. And I'm really excited to share it with you, but I just want to make sure it's in the right place before we do that. So let's just jump into last week's Twitter question. The Twitter question for last week was, how is the church embracing our different gifts and how is the church then using these gifts? And as I kind of talked about a lot last week, I think this is something that the church and where we're at right now, we need to be able to look beyond our differences. And instead of pointing out the differences between each other, we got to look at the things that we're doing well. There are certain things that different denominations do better than others, and there's things that we can learn from that and things that can help then the whole church as a corporate body work together to be able to work through that. And I think that's something that I hope as we're part of what in the more traditional church will say about every 500 years there's a major reformation. I think that's one of the things that I'm really hoping that through this reformation that we are working on. Being able to start seeing where different parts of the body as the church we're working well, and that maybe it helps then the whole body start to be able to acknowledge that and work on that and so that the whole church is working more efficiently. So let's just jump into it this week. The Old Testament text is out of Jeremiah chapter 1 verses 4 to 10. Really cool text this week here in Jeremiah, giving us this perspective of a conversation between us and God. I think we can put it in that way of how God discussing how he knew us in the womb and he has created us with a specific purpose and sometimes how we doubt ourselves and God then reinforcing this idea of, no, I have created you with a purpose. I have an idea in mind. Can you not just contradict yourself, just bring yourself down all the time? I have put words in your mouth. I have appointed you to different positions Trust in me, lean into me, and let me then work through you in the way that I designed you to work. And I think it flows beautifully into the psalm this week. It just is Psalm 71 verses 1 to 6. So this is, I feel, then the heart crying this out that we continue to lay into God. So that the God is our refuge and it's not putting us to shame. That righteousness will deliver us and rescue us. It's a refuge, a strong fortress, this place that even as the things that we can't control, the things that we find that we fall short, that God continues to be there and continuing to call out to God and, and realize that, realize our humanity within that and in the psalm kind of recognizing you have known me from my mother's womb, hence kind of the tie-in to Jeremiah 1 here, and continuing then to give the praise. 
The New Testament text then is 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 13. This is a text that has been nicknamed the love chapter. It gets overdone at weddings. And I would argue that this text has really nothing much to do with human love. Like, yes, there is parts in this that are showing what human love is like. But this is much more about the connection and the vastness of what Christ-like love looks like. And how if Christ isn't flowing through us, how there isn't anything there to be able to give to God. And then recognizing that these different gifts that God then gives and is showing us in his love for us that we then should be showing not only to God, but then to others. And that's where you get the passage and the heart of the meat and potatoes that people really like is verses four through seven. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. To begin verse eight. But what I really want to look at is then continuing from that point. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for the tongue, it will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. We'll get into that a little bit more. And then it gets into this deeper connection on how we continue to grow up. and And as we mature in the faith, what that means and it changes things. But also as we potentially grow older, how we potentially aren't as confident on where we are going and being able to directly see. And so it's kind of this, the human condition that we fight with, how a young child is so confident in their faith, but yet as we grow older, we see the complexities of faith, which is deepening our faith, but it also helps us to realize that God then continues to steer us in directions that we really don't know entirely where we're going, that God's really in control and not us. And then the great line here at the end in verse 13, and now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, and the greatest of these, is love. An overused passage, but a very deep passage. And again, I think trying to connect us into this much deeper connection of what God is intending us to do, which flows beautifully into the gospel. The gospel text this week is Luke chapter 4, verses 21 through 30. This picks up immediately after where we were last week. In fact, it repeats the last line that Jesus states here at the end, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, referencing back to last week where he is talking about how these Isaiah texts that he reads in front of the synagogue has now been fulfilled. But people start casting doubt. Is this not Joseph's son? And then they're kind of questioning him on, we've heard what you've done in Capernaum. We've heard what you've done other places. Why aren't you doing this here? Jesus responds in verse 24, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in the prophet's hometown. This idea probably of how the hometown knows more about the character who Jesus was before this and that the flaws, the humanity side that we don't have as much in the scriptures. And this raises an uproar within the synagogue here as they are bickering back and forth. 
in verse 28, when all had heard this, they were filled with rage after Jesus kind of reiterates how he's going to be probably going out and helping people who aren't part of their community, the outsiders, the the non-Jews in a lot of ways, that that's where he's going to go. And they're about to throw him off an edge of a cliff, which in Luke's gospel is kind of tying it in to the crucifixion a little bit. But yet he is able to escape and pass through in the midst of them and went on his way, as it states in verse 30. So this idea of how Yet again, the people have an idea of what God is supposed to do. And when God isn't doing it, they get frustrated. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, and there will be a lot of that, we have to do our shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. I love being able to listen to their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, having three to four different seminary professors breaking down and talking about some different ideas of what you could do, along with having 10 years of commentary dealing with these texts going back. So if something isn't working for this year, you can look back three years and see what was there. So if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. My second shameless plug, if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the library at vanderbilt.edu, I really like it. I really enjoy being able to see all the text on one page, and I really like how that's broken down. But the additional benefit that I really enjoy with this is having the art from multiple different continents, multiple different time periods to be able to bring all this stuff together. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from the lectionary.library.vanderbilt.edu, I'd highly recommend that. Finally, just a quick one. If you haven't checked out The Chosen, it's a great crowdfunded project that they're trying to walk through the ministry of Jesus. They just got season three fully funded and they're going to start season three as Jesus is doing the Sermon on the Mount. If you haven't checked out this series, it's fantastic. I'd highly recommend it. I'm really excited. The little bits and pieces that I've dug into it and I'm really excited to dig into it more. So if you haven't checked out The Chosen, I'd highly recommend that also. We have a lot of ground to cover and not a lot of time to do it. But like I was emphasizing in the second reading here, that as for knowledge, it will come to an end. And there was something I was really playing around with because how often we say we trust our own knowledge, we trust our own instincts. And there's a lot of rabbit holes we could get into with that at some point into some other deep faith conversations. But I think it's important to be looking at how Paul here is talking about our connection with God and what the love of God looks like into us. And then how then we do we try showing that out and amongst the community that this is Christ-like love in us, that it's part of it is not having the knowledge of everything, understanding that there is things that God does that are beyond where we're at at that moment. And that really got me thinking a lot this week. And so I started first with who are some different scientists who are ahead of their time? And I'll attach an article from a blog, but it got me two people that I really dug into a lot this week that I think are two that I've never talked about a ton on here that I think deserve a little bit of time to show that, yeah, God works in different ways. And I think there's times where we get blinded to that. And the two that we're going to talk about is Charles Babbage and Hedy Lamar. 
And one of those names maybe is a little familiar, but we'll start with Charles Babbage, the unfamiliar name. Charles Babbage was a mathematician in the early 1800s. And what he was noticing in the early 18-teens, 1820s, early 20s, of a lot of mathematicians were calculating and writing down these charts. And the problem was, was how slow it was because you had to do it one by hand and two, you could have human error. And so Babbage was wanting to create a system where that wasn't as much the case. So he kind of makes up this model and a very primitive model, enough to be able to show a few people and one of the societies in which he was in and was able to then get for just short of 10 years funding to be able to create this difference engine of what he called it. So this machine that you could plug in all the factor and then you kept turning a crank and as that did it, it would keep making out the calculations reliably along with that in doing that, that it would make a print on the bottom so it could be copied for later use. This was a big task. This took a lot of calculations. He had a mechanical engineer of Joseph Clement working with him on this, and they started in about 1823. By 1831, when the UK or the English government was kind of where is the product and they're still working on it. They decide we're not going to have grant funds for this anymore. He then kind of has a falling out with Clement because now he can't pay him to do all this fine working. And this is a lot of gears and very mechanical type of essentially an early calculator is what he's producing here. And that was okay at that point because by the time he was getting to that point, his mind had gone to another place. It was taking it to the next step. He had this idea of an analytical engine is what he called it, a.k.a. one of the first computers. Now, what is absolutely incredible about this is it never gets built in his lifetime. It's all on paper. And he ends up having Ada Lovelace gets kind of credited as the first computer programmer. She figured out how to make these punch cards to be able to coordinate to work with the machine. And the cool thing is, is that there was like a processing end and a memory end. So again, so that they could perform these tables to extended periods of time. He's working on this. In the middle of it, he gets inspiration for two years to revise his difference engine. It makes it difference engine number two to be able to do more digits and make it cheaper. Tries going to the government saying they should produce this. Nope, not going to happen. And so he spends his whole life then after that working on this analytical engine tweaking it, working it, designing this up to his death in 1871. Both his difference engine number two and his analytical engine have both been built right around either the 1990s or early 2000s, depending on the project. And miraculously, they worked flawlessly. 
It just was the time, the work, the effort to be able to make this very mechanical thing. And that what Ada Lovelace, even though there's a little bit of controversy, but I'm fairly confident she programmed his analytical engine. All of this created something flawless. And if you look at it, they were so far ahead of their time. Even the punch card being almost... 75 years ahead of where really computing power was with punch cards. And it's amazing that that's very similar to like the 1960s computers was punch cards. The other person I really wanted to get into is Hedy Lamar, And Hedy Lamar might be a familiar name. She was an A-list celebrity movie star. But the thing that didn't really get talked about much during her life, a little bit toward the end, and she's gotten a lot more recognition after her death, is she was an inventor. She loved when she was off the silver screen to be tinkering and working with different things. In fact, when she dated Howard Hughes for a period of time, she helped suggest that how to make airplane wings more streamlined, looking at fish and birds and using that so that he was able to fly faster. But the biggest invention that she helped majorly with was radio-controlled torpedoes and using spread spectrum. What was happening during World War II is that the English were having trouble, and the United States included in that, sending torpedoes because the Germans would latch on to the radio frequency that they were communicating with the torpedo at and jam it, making it so it was they weren't able to communicate with it and be able to have it do what they were wanting to do. She heard about some deaths and different things that were going on, and it was making it look like the Germans were potentially going to win World War II. She works then with George Antiel, who was kind of a crazy, a little bit of a out there composer, but had figured out ways where he had worked on atonal music but with 16 pianos simultaneously. And so she was able to take some of that idea of like, again, punch card-like idea, but using a model where it would be hopping frequencies. And so like a piano, they decided to have 88 different frequencies in which the signal would be hopping between. So if the Germans picked up one of the signals, it would only really hurt the connection between the torpedo and the ship where it was being sent for a fraction of a second compared to locking in and, and jamming it. They were granted patent in August of 1942. However, when they went to the U.S. Navy, they kind of laughed her out of the room. She was initially not a U.S. citizen. She was from Austria and especially also Antiel being a little bit of a weird composition guy. They decided no, they weren't going to use it and were very nervous about accepting a patent from someone who wasn't an American. On top of that, then what happened is her patent expired in the late 50s, but when we had the Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962, all the U.S. ships in the Navy had this technology in their ships for torpedoes. 
And where this is continued on is spread spectrum as the foundation on which Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, and GPS is all built upon. So mobile computing is built upon this foundation of what Hedy Lamar really helped bring forward and bring out into the world. So the idea then and the question that I kind of got as I was thinking and reflecting on these two is why do we miss their advice? Why do we miss these great inventions and then it takes us 50, 100 years or more to be able to process the abilities of what this was. Think about if we had had Wi-Fi, how much further we could be if we had actually accepted it in even the 50s. And what I would consider it is it's like a bottleneck. A bottleneck is more of an ecological term that will be used for when a population dwindles to a really small amount and that there isn't a ton of genetic variety, there isn't a ton of differences between individuals, and so you get very scared about the reproduction of these animals and how potentially a bug or a flu or something can come in and wipe out the whole population. I think about that is our ideas. We get so focused, so laser idea of this is what we think it should be, that then we miss something that's potentially a little bit out of the box. An example of this, and I'll attach a link down below, would be whooping crane recovery. When whooping cranes in the 1930s, when they started the recovery process, they focused on that individual group of cranes because there was only 20 to 30, varying on year, it was easily 150 individuals left. When they built up that population enough, they ended up then splitting some off to have a whole separate population that did a whole separate migration route from Wisconsin to Florida to bring back a historic migratory route. But one of the other ways was to develop some additional genetic variants. So if something happened to one of the populations, that there was potential to be able to help these birds out. Where this is going is when we look at what Jesus is stating and how infuriated people got when Jesus wasn't just initially going into Nazareth and just doing like what he had done in other places like Capernaum, People got infuriated because they were so focused on, well, why would you help them but not help us? Why wouldn't we trust just the American technology because Hedy Lamar is from Austria and could potentially be a spy for the Germans and Nazi Germany and there could be some thing that she's trying to do to, that really is going to just mess us over. Even though she had been in the States for decades at that point and did tons of USO shows to be able to help the troop and help with war bond efforts. Saying that we got, this is so expensive, that Babbage, there's no way that this is going to work. And it's just so beyond our comprehension that be able to make a machine like this that's going to make everything so easy. But the time, the work, the effort, the investment that it was going to take to be able to do something like that is just beyond our comprehension. Jesus, what he is proposing to the people is beyond their comprehension. Why are you dealing with Gentiles? Why are you looking and dealing with people that are outside of us? Why are you not just focusing on the chosen people? Because we as the chosen people at that moment hadn't wrapped our head around that 
Jesus wasn't just coming for us. He was coming for the world to get so that the world would get to know him. Not just the chosen people, but to expand the chosen people. Because God created all of us. We were having a hard time comprehending this. Our knowledge of what we were understanding faltered. It only went so far. Ada Lovelace being first computer programmer and being female and how much doubt there is that she did that. Babbage being looked at as just kind of a loony and yet a century later when people do it, it works flawlessly. Someone who had spent tireless amount of time and how much especially of his analytical engine was all in his head and then writing it down on paper to be able to get that to work is absolutely incredible. Hedy Lamar being looked at as an A-list celebrity looked for on for her beauty who disappears at the end of her life because she doesn't feel like she can live up to the standards that the, our society had put on her and yet she had the foundational pieces to the modern technology that we use on a day-to-day basis today but yet the government that was in place couldn't trust her work. And yet, the moment that the patent had expired so that she didn't get any funding from this, our federal government uses it. And it put it as classified information because they didn't want it to get out because they realized of what the potential of this was. Where in our own lives, within the church, within the world, are we doing the same thing? That we're putting up arbitrary walls that's not allowing us to expand our ideas of maybe what is going on. That we're so laser focused on this is the way that it has to be that we actually miss the way that it was. That's a lot to take in. Because if we've bottlenecked so far to get that way, it gets hard to be able to see beyond that. And yes, something can come in and totally twist and contort and suddenly we're way off base. And so then when someone Bree brings it up, it's like, how do we get so far off? I think it's something that where we're at as a church, especially right now, I don't think there's necessarily a bad suggestion. I think there's a lot of things that we need to pray about to help us have the direction on where to go. But I don't think there's a bad idea right now. And we need to be able to listen to all these different ideas, even if it's radically shaking up what we know as church. As we're coming back into a society as at some ways, in some points, it looks like we are getting beyond the pandemic, but yet we're still in it. There's going to be things that we're going to have to reflect on and work on to be able to move forward, to become whatever our new society is together. So my Twitter question for you is where do we have to put aside our pride to hear where God is? Where do we have to put aside our pride to hear where God is? The pride of Nazareth got in the way to the point of rage that they missed at this point what Jesus was actually trying to do. He was actually trying to show love and care and they weren't ready for that yet. I think in a lot of ways what happens is our pride gets in the way so then then it makes it impossible for us to be able to be ready for what God is trying to do. And I think that's something that we're all needing to work on. The world in which we knew before the pandemic is not going to be the world that we know when we get out of it. Because life moves on, time moves on, things change and so we have to keep changing whether we want to or not. And here Jesus is showing that yet again. 
but it also means it gives us the opportunity to be able to listen to new ideas, to listen to people who are what we may seem as way out in left field, but maybe actually spend some time there and realize that they're not that far out in left field, that we've just been way out in left field ourselves. I think that's one of the things that's amazing with this, is how often our humanity can get in the way of where God is really trying to steer us and move us. And remember, like we are told in the Old Testament and the Psalm this week, that God knows us inside and out. Are we going to let God actually use us for what God is steering us and trying to get out of us for his kingdom? Because that's the question that is worth digging into. That's a question that we should all be asking ourselves. And that's a question that takes some thought and time and listening. Because sometimes those ideas are a little crazy. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.